This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Perhaps one of the biggest stories of the last 50 years. Was an American president a Russian asset? It was my agency and it was specifically my department who started cultivating Donald Trump uh, since about 1970. You heard that right. And you heard it from Yuri Shvets. He's a former KGB agent who now lives in the United States. And he's talking. Eventually, it led to close cooperation between the intelligence agency and Mr. Trump. Schwetz is featured in a new book by Craig Unger called American Compromise. I think Americans are, are, we are in the middle of an unseen war, an invisible war. That war, according to Unger, is with Russia and the unseen assets that are a part of what he calls American Compromise. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. For years, at least five, there's been a question circulating quietly in the national security journalism circle. It involves former President Donald Trump and his connection to Russia. It's involved his behavior when he's been in the presence of Russian President Vladimir Putin. It's also involved whether or not he, Mr. Trump, had been recruited as a Russian spy. Well, that's been dismissed numerous times by the Trump team, and some experts say it's impossible. But on this episode, there's a new voice that can't be ignored. His name is Yuri Shvets, a former KGB agent, now a U.S. citizen, featured in a new book by Craig Unger called American Compromise. And he says Russian intelligence started cultivating Donald Trump almost 40 years ago. It was my agency and it was specifically my department who started cultivating Donald Trump uh, since about 1970. And eventually it led to uh, close cooperation between the intelligence agency and Mr. Trump, uh, it reached the point when he became a valuable asset of uh, the Russian intelligence. Uh, They used him primarily for like an agent of influence and as a tool together with his organization as a tool for massive money laundering, uh, where the ultimate 
uh, center of the money or source of the money were a Russian intelligence service or individuals, Russian individuals closely associated and connected to the, to, to the Russian intelligence. Um, what happened in 2016, the Russians, according to my estimates, uh, at about in about late March or early April 2016, the Russians realized that besides the uh, areas where they had used him in the past, they may also have their assets as a president of the United States. So they started massively helping him in this department, which was silly, according to the KTB Foreign Intelligence Service, because this massive assistance led to uh, collapse of this information. It became known to the U.S. government, to U.S. mass media, and eventually the Russians got their assets as a president of the United States, but because of their failure, the failure of the Russian intelligence, he was put in the corner where for the next four years he had to do different things to prove that he is not Russian asset. So mm -hmm. ultimately he was way less useful for the Russians than he could have been if the Russians didn't expose the connection between him and Moscow. Let me ask this question. How did they, how did he become an asset? What was the process and when did it happen and where? It was a lengthy process overall it took about 40 years, but it was a classic for the Russian, for Soviet and Russian intelligence, because uh, traditionally the Russians, they have patience and it's very important. One of their uh, master recruitment operation is called prospective recruitment of prospective agents. The classic example is recruitment of several students in the 1930s in Britain, in Oxford University. They were just students, but later on, they became important people at the top of the British intelligence and high level diplomats serving in the United States and in London. And it was a, it was a coup in the history of the Soviet intelligence. So they were using these tactics, tactics uh, tactic massively. And this is what happened with Donald Trump. Originally he was, came, he came to their radar, uh, radar in uh, about 1974, 75, uh, they had their agent from Russian, immigrant community in the United States who established business relations with him and who was used to get more information which enabled Russians to profile, to compose a profile on Donald Trump, mm -hmm. to understand who he is as a person, as a person. And then uh, they brought him to Moscow in 1987 for what they called deep evaluation 
and uh, Rick Rookland. Also joining us on this podcast, and he too is a headliner like Mr. Schwetz, is Craig Unger, who actually wrote the book featuring Mr. Schwetz. He was able to pull all these details together and make it make sense. Mr. Unger, welcome. I'd like to ask you, if you would, tell us why you wrote this book. I think Americans are, are, uh, I I think we're in the middle of an unseen war, an invisible war, and Americans are used to wars where there are bombs, bullets, boots on the ground. That's not what's happening now. And Vladimir Putin has led the Russian Federation uh, to launch a war uh, that's sort of uh, encouraging and inciting right-wing populists all over the world, not just in the United States, it's in Western Europe and in Great Britain as well with, with, with Brexit. And this is what brought us Donald Trump. And even though Donald Trump is gone now, the war continues. We see in a, in a hard way that there are Russian troops in Donbass on the uh, eastern edge of, of Ukraine. But even more in the United States, uh, this continues. I mean, we, we have uh, people like Mitch McConnell, the entire Republican Party, is under the sway of Vladimir Putin. In some ways, it's almost like the party of regions uh, in Ukraine, which is uh, a, a surrogate for, for Putin. So you, you see these, uh, uh, they're using weapons like corruption in many, many different ways. There's hacking, if you follow the solar winds. Uh, yes. Uh, hacking. We, we don't even know yet how deep and widespread that is, except it's very, very deep and, and, and it can surface uh, in the middle of a crisis. If, if you paid attention to the recent uh, hacking of the water treatment. Uh, uh, yes, down in Florida. Example, Florida. Uh, I mean, it, it's just insanely dangerous. The, the levels of lie in the water were suddenly jacked up by a factor of 100. Unfortunately, someone was paying attention and saved a lot of lives. lives. Um, we see it in coal mines in Kentucky that are being helping Mitch McConnell and are being funded by Oleg Deripaska. Uh, we see it in the lobbying of the K Street lawyers in Washington. I mean, most famous, of course, is... Uh, uh, Paul Manafort and, and Roger Stone, but there are many, many others. Okay. And in that huge uh, lo um, law firms where people are being paid $10 million a year to represent various oligarchs and, and uh, Russian banks and okay. so forth. So let's get back to um, the book, American Compromat. Um, you wrote this book along with Mr. Yuri Schwetz and Mr. Schwetz. Uh, I want to get back. I want to I want to get to you on several questions. We've already spoken about Donald Trump and his connection to the USSR. You said that he was brought to the USSR in the 80s for deep evaluation. And the, the, it's a couple of questions for you. Um, who arranged that? Do you know? This is a question for me? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, I do. Uh, it was arranged by uh, the first department of the first chief directorate, which was running operations in the United States and Canada. And I worked in that department at that time. Uh, in the United States, it was running 
three stations, Washington, New York, and San Francisco. I worked in Washington station, but Donald Trump was run by the New York station. Uh, but again, it was the same department. Specifically involved in this operation was a lady uh, who was the daughter of uh, Yuri Dubinin. For some brief period of time in 86, he was uh, uh, the Soviet, uh, the chief of the Soviet mission to the United Nations. And then uh, since uh, May, of 86, he was the Soviet ambassador to the United States, operating out of the Soviet embassy uh, on the 16th Street, close to the White House. Uh-huh. So I was going to ask you how you knew all of this, but you just said it. You worked for this first department that arranged this. Uh, and the, the next question, I've read over time that there was some connection between Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump in the early stages of this relationship. Was that true? It depends what you mean by the early stages. Uh, they uh, knew each other, at least they heard about existence of each other uh, in the years 2000, 2010. Um, I heard Mr. Trump being an admirer of Mr. Putin for quite a while. Uh, but uh, I do not believe that Mr. Putin treated Mr. Trump seriously until he ran for the presidency in 2016. Because if you remember, at some point, Mr. Trump um, ran a uh, beauty pageant in Moscow. Yes. And he badly wanted Mr. Putin to be present. And I think Agalarov <laughs> was involved in that operation. Agalarov, yes, Agalarov. This is one, yet another asset of mm-hmm. the Kremlin and its agencies. Uh, so basically, Mr. Trump was surrounded by a heart of agents or assets of the Russian intelligence community. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but as far as Mr. Putin is concerned, had he known at the time that Mr. Trump, several years later, would become the president of the United States, he would run to meet Mr. Putin, uh, Trump mm-hmm. during the pageant. But he disregarded so, uh, this meeting and didn't show up. Mr. Uh, Craig, you did a lot of research from the U.S. journalistic side of this and uh, a number of other different sides. You mentioned something that's very important, the Blavatnik connection to uh, a number of politicians, uh, the dark money part of this. And um, earlier in this conversation, Mr. Schwetz mentioned, um, you know, the way in which the... uh, the Russian intelligence tried to use Mr. Trump to launder money. So have you been able to make a connection between all of that? Well, you know, I think one of the large things going on is we, we have not had a counterintelligence investigation. And we desperately need one. The investigation done by uh, Mueller, uh, the Mueller report was a criminal investigation. And what's really, really important to understand is good intelligence operations are designed to operate within the law. 
So when people say, oh, well, none of these people were indicted for spying or anything, that happens to be true. But, but if you look at each component of the way everyone was seduced uh, by Russian intelligence, by first the Soviets and then Russian, uh, each component is legal. So you mentioned Leonard Blavatnik, who is uh, an enormously wealthy Russian oligarch. He happens to be a naturalized American citizen. So he's given millions and millions of dollars to the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, uh, which uh, Mitch McConnell oversees, and that happens to be perfectly legal. And, and you can see that again and again uh, in the way Trump uh, was wooed by the Russians, starting very, very early on uh, when he sold, uh, when, when Trump bought uh, 200 TV sets from um, Semyon Kislin, Kislin, it turns out, as Yuri has explained, uh, was a, essentially a spotter agent uh, for the KGB who was seeking new assets to recruit. And, and if you follow the, the chain through, we just mentioned Aguilarov. He was another uh, Russian asset. Uh, earlier on, there was Natalia Dubinina, who uh, Yuri has mentioned also as a Russian asset. And we see all these people having relationships with Donald Trump, gradually reeling him in closer and closer uh, until he runs for president and uh, starts that in 2015 and 2016. So as you look at what we're hearing and seeing in the United States, Mr. Schwetz, just as American citizens who are completely blind to all of this and essentially smothered by the political day-to-day fire hose of information coming from both the Democrats and the Republicans. And, you know, then, of course, obviously there's Russia involved in this and China behind the scenes trying to move the needle as well with their information. Back at this time in 2015, 2016, as we were going through the election process, um, there were people like Christopher Steele who had concerns about the credibility of this president. Uh, and there were discussions not long after the Steele dossier came out regarding Mr. Trump being involved in some kind of activity in a hotel uh, in Russia where there were supposedly tapes of some type of illicit activity taking place. First, do you have any understanding of what might have taken place there? And secondly, is it a normal thing for uh, dignitaries to be filmed in that way or, or, or uh, surveilled in that way? Well, actually, response to this question may require a long layer one hour long lecture (laughs) (laughs) well maybe maybe we'll follow up then yes yes it's a yes and no it's a widely popular illusion that uh, any foreign dignitary must be filmed in russia under compromising circumstances it's not true uh the modus operandi of the russian soviet intelligence was first was and has been charming offensive, charm offensive. Compromise has been always viewed as the worst basis for recruitment. It was the least reliable and 
sooner or later, it would more likely than not, it would lead to a failure or, or, or maybe even disaster. Uh, with Donald Trump in 1987, as I said, they used the charm offensive. They played on um, his uh, special personality, which, will, which involved incredible vanity, low IQ, and overinflated or, or overinflated narcissism. And this combination of all these characteristics made him extremely vulnerable to traditional modus cultivation tactics of the Russian intelligence. Uh, I believe that uh, the compromise, they do have compromise on him, but I believe that this is the money trail. I believe this is the true golden shower which hmm. was, which uh, poured to Trump organization during, uh, at least in the mid-90s when money laundering became one of the top priorities of the Russian intelligence community. It was not the case in the past, before that. It was, in the, in the past it was different, they had different strategies, but since about mid-90s and until, uh, until present, as we speak, this is the same, uh, their <clears throat> top priority is, has been money laundering, and this is where he became most important. And they do have plenty of information. They have documents to show that the money, millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, which came through Trump organization, which originated uh, in Russia, actually originated by the Russian intelligence community. And that, I believe, is illegal, correct? Well, it should be illegal because this is the money of a foreign intelligence, yeah. hostile foreign yes. intelligence service, I would tell you. Besides, I don't remember when the law was passed, but there is a law requiring uh, American corporations before they start business relationship with any company or individual in the former Soviet Union, they need to do due diligence. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, it would require to do even superficial due diligence on on uh, on the part of Trump organization yeah. to realize that money coming from Russia to their accounts are not good money, are not clean. Gotcha. Yeah. Besides, if, if I may besides, talk about the besides, we should understand that a great deal of this money coming from the Russian intelligence was generated by the criminal. Organized crime group, Russian organized crime group, which, thanks to Russian intelligence, became global organized crime group. I will just mention the name of Semyon Magilevich, for instance. Mm -hmm. This is a global criminal empire, which is integral part of the Russian intelligence. So money of the Russian intelligence, to a large extent, are criminal money. Mr. Unger, Craig, you had something you wanted to add to this. Yeah, I, I write about uh, Mogilevich and the money laundering at great uh, length in, uh, in my book, House of Trump, House of Putin. And if you go back to 1984, you will see uh, a man named David Bogadin come into Trump Tower. This is just a year after Trump Tower opened and Trump was finally becoming a national figure. And Bogadin put $6 million in cash down 
uh, and says uh, he'll buy five condos. Now, Trump does not ask, where did you get the money? And he turns a blind eye to the fact that this may well, uh, almost certainly came from uh, the Russian mafia. And uh, to prove that Trump knowingly, uh, tr Trump, Trump's guilt in money laundering, you have to prove that he had knowledge. And Trump made a, made a practice of turning a blind eye to this kind of thing. Uh, but it happened with at least 1,300 condos that he sold. So he was doing this on a regular basis. And later in the 2000s, when Trump had gone uh, belly up once again after overexpanding into uh, Atlantic City, uh, the Russians came to his aid again with illicit money uh, through a firm called Bayrock, which was a real estate development a group that developed uh, high rises like the Soho Trump and so forth. And uh, um, they uh, gave Trump royalties from uh, once they developed these companies, but they were getting money uh, from Icelandic banks and, and various uh, through financial vehicles that, that were well known to be laundering money for the Russian mafia. That's Craig Unger author of American Compromise, and Yuri Schwetz, the subject of that book, a former KGB agent who now lives in the U.S., and he's talking. We'll be back with more of that story next episode. Uh, I think an enormous amount of damage was done, and, and if, if Biden had not won the election, I think we would, uh, our entire democracy would be at risk forever. To be continued. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments about this program, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green. One word at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. That's jgreen at wtop.com. Also, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast and also to follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. If you want more national security information, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. And you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Seven years ago, college wrestler Damian Hurd disappeared from a party in Gunnison, Colorado. Everyone has been drinking or whatever the usual party scene. When, how, and why he left are questions I need your help to understand. Nobody's heard from him. No, it's just like he disappeared. From Cold Case Productions and Podcast One, Final Days on Earth, The Life and Death of Damien Hurd. I'm your host, Claire Sanima. Join me April 20th for the season premiere. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.